Hi, this is Jamie Court. I'm president of the Consumer Watchdog, and we're here with the Rage for Justice report. This is a, a weird week in Sacramento. It's the last week of the legislative session, which ends uh, on August 31st at midnight. And uh, with coronavirus, with uh, all of the crises we've had in the Capitol, um, including a state senator who just got coronavirus and uh, the Senate has shut down for a bit to get clean, uh, we have one heck of a wait till the end of session this year. I've got with me our stellar uh, lobbyist in Sacramento, Mike Maddock. Hey, Mike. Hey, Jamie. Good to be here. Mike's seen um, an awful lot of legislative sessions to bed. How many, how many years have you been doing this, Mike, inside and outside the building? Inside and outside, about 30 now. This will make be my 30th year. So he, he, he was a lobbyist. He was a, he was a staffer. Uh, he was uh, in and out of the building. And what happens at the end of session is people like me who know that there is nothing good that can be done on the last <laughs> weekend of a legislative session, wait and, and wait and wait until the deadlines pass when no mischief can be done. We are now waiting because there is mischief in the air. And we want to tell you a little about how, how it's made and, and, and what it's done this week. Uh, Mike, this week we had a, um, a letter uh, go out to uh, Senator leaders, uh, Senate leader Atkins and uh, Assembly member uh, Rendon on an issue of, of real importance, um, but a little under the radar for a lot of people. And this is exactly how, how bad policy gets made. At the end of session, you have uh, some powerful industry. In this case, it was the waste haulers, these, uh, these garbage men who uh, wanted to steal up to $100 million from the, uh, the uh, fund of uh, uncollected bottle and can deposits. We, we put five and cent, 10 cents into these cans every time we go to the store. Uh, we're supposed to get them back, but it's been harder because with COVID, um, the stores were not required to give us our nickel and dimes back redemption centers have closed. So we had this fund, which has got hundreds of millions of dollars, and it swelled by hundreds of millions of more dollars. And at the end of session, the uh, waste haulers got together with the grocers and with a, a group of, of recyclers and decided, well, we got a pot of money. We can rate it. No one's looking. Let's go for it. And uh, we, uh, we think we have stopped this coup. Um, Tell us a little about how this works at the end of the session and, and, and how money like this, $100 million from consumers' pockets, just flies out the door. Um, no one knows, unless you have a group like ours watching and, and complaining. Listen, this is the only group, and I said it to you years ago when I was in the building, that seems to pay attention, especially this late in the session, and especially when others aren't able to, to look inside uh, or behind the curtain and see what the, what the, the Wizard of Oz is cooking up back there. Uh, what happens is is that these lobbyists have very, very uh, affluent clients, and these clients want to get all the money that's available. They see a couple hundred million dollars sitting in a fund, and at a time when the governor needs a lot of money to take care of wildfires and, and firefighters and the disasters of COVID that are impending and, and impinging all of us, these guys decide that that even though they're destroying the recycling uh, in California, as we know it, where we can't recycle our own cans and bottles, they decided they need more money. So they have their lobbyists at the end of session when all this chaos is going on, as you noted, Jamie, with with senators coming down with COVID, staff 
overworked. They're they they're never getting home to their families, or they're having a hard time working 24 hours a day, seven days a week to do the people's business. And these guys are going to get paid a huge amount of money to go grab these guys, meaning lobbyists, are to go grab this money that's sitting into an, in an account that should be going to our recycling uh, ability to recycle and and keep California clean. So they go out and they push, they create a bill, they go find a bill. What, we, what Jamie's talking about when we're, when we're watching what's happening is we're watching every piece of legislation that's sitting in the legislature that might be pulled off of the inactive file and used to drop in language to do this, to, to take this money, to grab what, what should be going elsewhere. And they will do it quickly. They will do it because they know how to do it. They know the system. And they get paid a nice bonus if they pull it off. So when they're when their clients like the waste haulers and the, and the grocers and the recyclers who say we need more money and we're not going to recycle, we think it's idiocy. We're just going to mix it up and throw it in the garbage in, in, in our in our big waste pile. Let's go get what's left over. They have their lobbyists go secure a bill through a legislator that they have contributed to over the years and. And somebody that they know will do what they ask them to do. And they drop language in a bill. And the next thing you know, if you're not paying attention, that bill's moving through the legislature and is on the floor in both houses ready to vote. And the money's gone. And, and That's this it. Is, this, it happens this that is, quickly. This is going to happen within 72 hours, uh, within 48 hours. Because at the end of session, you, you, ordin- you, you know, all the deadlines are gone. We're past Tuesday, which is when bills can technically be amended. But all that needs to happen is a rule waiver in each house, a bill being dropped at the desk before Thursday at midnight is, is the time when it would have to be dropped because uh, we have a rule for 72 hours. A bill's got to be in print before 72 hours before it's passed. But all that has to happen is that language has to be dropped on across the desk, get a rule waiver, and then everybody has to be complicit in it going through and, and no one needs to stand up. But we, we wrote a letter this week, as I said, pointing out that the waste haulers have given uh, over $800,000 to lawmakers in the last couple of years. The retailers have given over 900000 And what they're looking for here is just uh, a, a pure handout because uh, the, the waste haulers are having a hard time because their commercial contracts have been canceled because a lot of office buildings are closed. So they're going to the recycling system. Now, the recycling system is a system they do not serve well, as Mike said, because um, when we recycle at the grocery store, when we recycle redemption centers, that's very high content material. Like 99% of it gets recycled because it's clean and separated. When we recycle on the curb at the single-use blue cans, uh, that is about 30, 40% of it is garbage. Either the plastics are corrupted because there's static electricity and dirt in it, or the glass breaks and shatters with all the other stuff in that single bin, and it's not usable. And yet, the waste haulers actually get our nickel and dimes directly when they collect our bottles and cans at the curb and they put an invoice into the state. We're the only state that allows waste haulers who have municipal contracts also to get these nickel and dimes. Now, on top of this, they wanted to steal up to $100 million themselves. Right now, they have get 50, all the haulers get more than 50% of all state payments to the recycling program. They only handle 10% of all beverage containers. So this is just a naked power graph. I think we put it down. We put it down because, uh, frankly, the Senate pro tem uh, Tony Atkins, I believe, had some principles on this on, on, on this and, and appears to have said no, appears to have said no to this naked last minute uh, raid in power grab. But this can happen on any number of issues if there's no one watching. 
And it does happen, and it has happened. And um, in, in this time, this year, it would be just, just uh, uh, particularly, um, particularly obscene because we have our eyes on so many other things, on COVID, on wildfires raging across the state, on um, police abuse. Um, so for them to have gotten away with it this year, I think would have been particularly outrageous. And nonetheless, it's happened before, hasn't it, Mike? You can think of a dozen issues where it's happened. Oh, absolutely. And, and the one thing that should, should not go unnoticed is the subtlety involved in sending that letter from the consumer watchdog to Tony Atkins and Rendon. And somebody that's going to be responsive and cares about what's going on is going to see it and know, okay, we've now been placed on notice that someone's watching. Because none of this shenanigans can happen unless the leadership in both houses allows it to. They're the ones that do the rule waiver. It's kind of we talk, laugh about, which is it's majority rules, right? They have more votes. They can change the rules. So that was key. And so letting them notice, let, putting them on notice that somebody's watching is one that, that just helps keep them, keep them uh, on the right track. And to, and to all you supporters out there who who help us with contributions to keep us watching, we, we appreciate it because, uh, honestly, um, this would have happened, but for um, a well-written letter, a well-timed complaint, otherwise this would have uh, been $100 million out the door of your money. So we really appreciate your help and support uh, for our program. And um, it, this wasn't the only issue we, we, we had a battle with last year, briefly, Mike. Uh, at the end of the year, we were also trying to stop a big homeowner's insurance rate hike uh, that was going to go through the legislature. And we might as well update people on it while we're here uh, before we go. Um, that was a bill we've been fighting for many months. People know uh, if they've listened to the podcast that the insurance industry wanted to go around Prop 103 and pass a law that was in violation of it and allow the um, allow the insurance companies to submit a plan and raise rates and uh and, and forget the formulas that the insurance commissioner has put in place to uh, stop that. And what happened at the last minute, Mike, was uh, good. The le leadership of the legislature stood up for the public and said, uh, you know what? I don't think so. We're going to do a, a, a something more reasonable. We're going to give the insurance commissioner the power to study this issue, the report back on these issues, and to, to use his power to do something about it. And this was a good result all around this year, wasn't it? It was. And it, and it kind of something like this, when you have a, a chairman of a committee uh, under pressure from a huge, huge interest, you know, the insurance industry probably uh, spends more money over time than just about anybody in California history, going back decades and decades. Uh, and especially their attempt to try to peel back Prop 103 uh, since 1988. And and what they what was great was you had a chairman of uh, the, the uh, Senate Appropriations Committee, uh, Senator Portentino, who stood up, took, took uh, the advice of, of consumer watchdog and insurance commissioners and the Department of Insurance and said, no, you know, we, we're not going to put jam through this, this really bad bill that would allow the, the insurance industries to basically become deregulated uh, and uh, allow them to, to raise premiums on, on California homeowners in a time of COVID crisis and wildfires by about 40 to 50 percent, uh, we're going we're gonna to do the right thing. We're going we're gonna to amend this bill to, to go the right path, which is to require the insurance commissioner to do his job and get out there and study what he can do and what the state of California should be doing to help homeowners, not harm them not further damage them uh, with uh, increasing rates in this, in this nightmare time when people are losing their houses and getting uh, non-renewed by their insurance company. So 
it kind of restored my faith a little bit in in the process. And again, it was because, uh, you know, Consumer Watchdog was standing guard at this moment and saw what was going on and put in a fight basically uh, beginning in February of this year. And, and, to our, and to his credit, the insurance commissioner uh, fought hard. And to their credit, the leadership of the Senate, uh, in addition to Senator Portantino, uh, seemed really committed to not gutting this law and to, to giving consumers uh, more information, giving consumer, giving the commissioner uh, the ability uh, to uh, to study this problem, report back, and 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 frankly, to getting the commissioner uh, going a little quicker on his plans because he does want to help wire fire victims and. Uh, I think this was a little, uh, a little, uh, a little message to him that he needs to, to to do it a little quicker. And I think everyone uh, took that advice under advisement. And honestly, I'm not sure how disappointed the insurance companies are. I'm pretty sure they're, they're disappointed that they're not going to raise rates, but they're they're not. They appear to be okay with this bill because I think they they see it, it, it resulting in some type of action that wouldn't have resulted in if they hadn't raised the issue this year. So this is actually maybe, you know, the best outcome. <laughs> For every party and shows how the process can uh, create some change. Yeah, and that's the bonus of all this is that that people can now see the legislature in action doing the right thing. And it starts at the top. I mean, it's a great point, Jamie. You talked about the leadership in the Senate really is what uh, would put, and that goes credit to uh, Senator Atkins and her staff who worked really hard as did the staff of Senator Portantino's. And, and, and when this happens, we had the best outcome possible. And I think that's really important. And it's something that it was a win-win-win all the way around for possibly the industry, definitely for consumers, and for the, for the process of democracy in the House itself. And I'll, and I'll tell you, um, we, we are not done with this session by any means, because uh, midnight Monday, Mike, you're going to be watching. You're going to be up. <laughs> not going all night. But but it's gotten safer because we had a, a reform a couple of years ago that said bills have to be in print for 72 hours before they're voted on. And even though it was a guy named Charlie Munger, a conservative, uh, who, who did that ballot mission, it was a great idea because now we don't have to stay up as late. So we are almost <laughs> past the uh, we're almost past the point of 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 of, uh, of, of worrying. Um, and um and uh, we have a couple other good bills that might even get through uh, liability for Amazon, for the products it sells. Uh, uh, there's a bunch of bills that could could happen this year, assuming the Senate gets back in session because uh, COVID, uh, the COVID, uh, uh, the COVID plague senator uh, uh, didn't infect too many people because they're doing all doing tests now, apparently. So it is a weird session. But thank you, Mike, for standing guard for us in Sacramento. Thank you for explaining this process. And thank you all for listening to the Rage for Justice report. And and supporting our work here so that we can uh, keep watch when, when others aren't and, uh, and make sure that, uh, frankly, uh, the special interests don't take your money. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for listening to the Rage for Justice Report. I'm here with uh, our Sacramento Council, Mike Maddock. Uh, and uh, you can subscribe to this podcast uh, on the Apple uh, App Store, uh, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, and, uh, and listen every week. Thank you all for your support, for tuning in to the Rage for Justice Report. I'm Jamie Court.